RiskWatch is a due diligence and compliance podcast featuring interviews with leading compliance, investigations, and research professionals to shed light on global corruption and compliance-related issues. RiskWatch is brought to you by VCheck Global, a business-to-business provider of due diligence, background checks, employment screening, document retrieval, and specialized research of both business entities and individuals. Seth Harlan of VCheck Global here, joined by Melissa Duru, Special Counsel at Covington & Burling LLP, where her portfolio includes advising clients on ESG matters. Melissa joined the firm last year after over 15 years at the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. Melissa is a panelist at the 49th Annual Securities Regulation Institute. Speaking on the topic of ESG disclosures, Melissa, thank you for joining RiskWatch. Thank you for having me, Seth. Glad to be here. Likewise, thank you. To start, let's touch on uh, ESG. So a common challenge for American companies seeking to develop ESG programs or tweak existing ones is trying to predict the SEC's 2022 policy agenda. Given your extensive experience at the SEC, do you anticipate a requirement for public companies to adopt a specific benchmarking standard? That's a very interesting question and obviously the million-dollar question at the moment I think one needs to take a step back. And I think most practitioners are looking at this from the standpoint of a historical reference point. When you look at the movement and attempts over the past decades to even come up with convergence around accounting standards, and you see that that has not yet occurred between U.S. GAAP and IFRS, you recognize that across the board, there is always going to be tremendous difficulty in coming up with a singular standard. The other aspect to keep in mind is the decision useful comparable disclosure that the SEC has been repeatedly stating it's focused on. Coming up with a singular standard and identifying a benchmark in one way would assist in coming up with comparable decision useful disclosure, but it may do so at a cost. Oftentimes when you converge and coalesce around a singular standard, you may end up with more of a race to the bottom versus a race to the top, just in order to get agreement and convergence around a singular benchmark. So with that, it would not be surprising If the SEC shied away from identifying a singular standard, but instead maybe came up with a regime in which one, two or three standards that have experienced global uptake and that commentators and the market have already indicated in their comment letters to the SEC are the standards around which they are aligning. If they were to say, Do you and can you please disclose whether you align with standard X or framework X, Y, or Z? That may be one way in which the SEC might move forward in terms of coming up with standards that most public reporting companies across the globe would have identified as standards to which they could align and coalesce around. Thank you. That's very interesting. And I really appreciate the detail. Just shifting uh, to continue with the SEC a bit, with ESG-related disclosures expected to be SEC priorities this year, which ESG topics do you think will carry the most weight with investors? 
Investors have been very vocal over the past year on the matters that are of import to them and their long-term investment strategy. And I think that's where the SEC is likely to look in terms of both the sequencing of some of the disclosure rules that are coming out, as well as the degree of prescriptive requirements that may make their way into some of those rules. And so what are some of the areas that investors have been increasingly vocal about in their stewardship letters, whether it's, you know, the letter from CEO Larry Fink or other stewardship letters? There are consistent themes. And one is obviously with respect to each company's climate change plan. It's not sufficient to pay lip service. There needs to be quantitative metrics, qualitative metrics around which investors can look to and use in their assessment of the long-term strategy and risk or opportunities presented by a portfolio company. So climate, I think, is definitely going to be a top priority in terms of rulemaking and trying to get the disclosure requirements right in terms of both the level of prescriptive requirements in terms of potential safe harbors that may need to be layered in for certain types of, let's say, scope three emissions disclosures. These are all areas in which I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of focus and a a critical area. The other critical area was and is around diversity, equity, and inclusion. When we look at some of the executive orders and the administration's focus also on racial equity and inclusion and social justice, and we see how that is factoring into a lot of the executive agencies uptake of issues, whether it's around human rights, whether it's around labor issues or diversity. These are all areas that, again, from the standpoint of rulemaking, are likely to move along. And then the third point I would say would be cybersecurity, information security risk. Just again, given the executive's focus on that, the executive or the administration's focus on that, and just given the spate of cyber incidents that the United States and other countries (laughs) have been subject to, it's very likely that those are areas that there will be room for common ground to be found and a push to making sure that those are prioritized as far as rulemaking. And just to continue on the topic of corporate ESG programs, is there any advice you would offer or small steps that companies could take to get a head start on their ESG programs? That's a really great question. And it's one that a lot of our company clients have posed. And it really boils down to, I think, two words, inventory and experts. You know, smaller companies and companies of all sizes, basically you need to know and you need to be in a position to collect information about your ESG risk. You don't know your risk if you're not able to effectively collect it. And so you will need to take inventory. These are the steps, knowing which department, which office, which personnel is responsible for collecting information about your carbon emissions or collecting information about your human resource practices or surveys and results thereof. This is like the critical and an easy step to take. But then the other part of it is that you need experts. So If you gather the information and are effectively channeling it up 
through the organization for an assessment of how material it may or may not be, you need experts along the way to opine and to lend their expertise. There are people that know how to engage in carbon accounting. (laughs) There are people that know how to look at a critical vulnerability from an information security standpoint and immediately tell whether or not this is something that is varying degrees of materiality, material to the company. So these are the sorts of experts that you would want in the reporting chain such that by the time the information gets to the board or an oversight committee, it is properly collected and has been vetted and has that layer of expert knowledge mixed in for the board and the committee to assess properly. Heading back on the topic of the SEC, but this time looking abroad a bit, in the past, American companies have looked internationally for ESG guidance. Given the SEC's increased focus on the topic, do you anticipate a role reversal this year? I actually think that this is another area where it brings us back to where we first started in terms of convergence and possible ways in which there may not be a singular standard and there may not be a singular approach. And I think the SEC, at least the chairman, has recognized that in remarks, which is ultimately the SEC is focused on the protection of U.S. markets, U.S. capital markets and investors, and so would be looking principally through that lens. But he also recognized, given the global nature and interconnectedness of markets, and just given the work that has already been done abroad, that it is very likely that there will be influential factors that the SEC would want to, not just need to, but would want to consider as it moves forward in terms of its rulemaking and or standard setting. Recently, in connection with COP26, you had the International Sustainability Standards Board that was announced, and they came out with prototypes for potentially ESG global standards. No one knows how or where that prototype or prototypes on climate and sustainability will affect ongoing work, both in the European Union, as well as the UK, and as well as the SEC. But one would imagine a scenario where it's taken under consideration. And so I think that from the SEC standpoint and the American investor protection standpoint, it is likely that there would be some continued level of attention, not so much a role reversal, but there would be consideration of how things can be put to work together. Along with uh, ESG, which has been a hot topic this year, and you know we expect it to continue to be so, Crypto, cryptocurrencies are also on everyone's mind. Do you think that the increased prioritization of ESG issues this year will be steering impact investors away from digital currency just due to environmental and social concerns? That is also a very interesting question, just given, and I think you're alluding to this, the tremendous amount of energy that is consumed through the mining that occurs in connection with cryptocurrency and digital currency transactions. And so in some respects, you have a scenario where you have these very socially conscious investors wanting to do well, but also they're investors and they're recognizing that there is a value in holding crypto. And I think where a lot of the investment may end up landing and socially conscious investors may end up landing is looking for ways in which you can affect a better balance. So 
I think it was sometime last summer, there was a group of over 200 plus cryptocurrency entities that came together and came up with, in short, something like a climate accord in which they all agreed to take measures to reduce their overall emissions in the context of the mining and the delivery of cryptocurrency across the distributed ledger. And so even things like moving from the current way of authenticating transactions, which is a proof of work to a proof of stake model, which is consumes much less energy in terms of the overall computer energy in use. Thinking through where and how the computers and the operators of those computers, where they're mining and doing their operations. There was a significant clamp down in China, which resulted in a lot of the persons that do the crypto mining moving to other jurisdictions that don't rely on coal for their source of energy and have now switched to renewable energy. So in combination with, again, maybe changing instead of proof of work to proof of stake and changing the model of how the cryptocurrencies are mined, I think that there is an attentiveness to reducing your energy and your GHG emissions and that it can be accomplished in the context of cryptocurrency mining and that some investors may choose to invest in the cryptocurrencies that have decided to move in that direction. Those are not the major ones at this point, but there are many, there are many, again, 200 and odd cryptocurrency entities signed this climate accord and they're committed to reducing their overall emissions and believe that you can have your cake and eat it too, meaning cryptocurrencies as well as energy efficient and not as harmful cryptocurrency mining techniques deployed. Melissa, thank you so much for joining Riskwatch. It was wonderful speaking with you. Your insights were truly fascinating. Enjoy the conference. Thank you very much, Seth.